Well, today we finish our series on biblical blessedness that we began five weeks ago by looking at the source of our blessing, who is God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The God who was perfectly content enjoying the eternal, unbroken love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made this universe to be able to make this planet, to make people in His image that immediately He blessed to be fruitful and multiply so that we could fill the earth and reign in His place as His vice regents. And God is a good God who loves to bless His children. But we disrupted that with our distrust and disobedience. And our sin separates us from God. So then we ask the question, so how do sinners approach the source of our blessing? And we saw in the principles of, one, we do not deserve any of the good things that God gives us. We cannot demand, we cannot dictate, we are objects of mercy because we are sinners. And yet God has chosen to offer mediators of a way to come before Him so that now as we give ourselves to Jesus Christ, we can know the blessings of God as we walk with Him in faith-based obedience. And then we looked at Psalm 1 that how does that Christian life, how does that path of blessedness look like? And we know that we must, first of all, stop listening to the counsel of the wicked. We can't stand in the path of sinners. We can't sit in the seat of scoffers. But instead, we must delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. And in His law, we meditate day and night. And as we do that, we become like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And we yield our fruit in our season, and our leaves don't perish, and whatever we do, we prosper but if we reject that, if we choose not to live by God's word, then the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Last week, we looked at God's purposes in blessing. And the first purpose is that we enjoy it, that God gives us good things that we might enjoy because he's a good father who loves to see his children delight in his gifts. We also acknowledge and appreciate with gratitude that, again, nothing happens by happenstance because God is providential over everything. Every good thing that we enjoy comes from the Father above, the Father of lights, the giver of all good things. And so we live in an aspect of gratitude and gratefulness for everything that we enjoy each day. And that should foster our affections to adore Him all the more because we look beyond the gift to the giver. And we love the one who loves us so well. And then that's part of our witness to the world, that as we share those blessings, as they see the blessedness of walking with the Lord, other nations, other peoples, those that don't yet know Him, will say, how can I experience that? And we say the same way we did, by repenting of our sins, by giving ourselves to Jesus Christ, and by walking by the power of the Holy Spirit in the way that God lines out for us in His Word. And we share those blessings. Well, today we conclude by looking at the nature of, of blessedness biblically. The first of which is that God's blessings are personal. So my sister-in-law Fong several years ago began the tradition of giving us Christmas ornaments. But it wasn't as though the entire family got the same annual ornament. Each year she personally selects an ornament that fits our interest at the time. So my wife will get a pair of running shoes hanging off the tree and my son a basketball, and my daughter a stack of books, and me a little coffee cup. And now our tree gets increasingly adorned with not just gifts, expressions of love, but individual intimations of, I know you, I love you, and I personally pick something out just to bless you. Now, there are many blessings that God gives all people, 
that God lets the sun and the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And he gives all human beings the dignity of being made in his image. And he provides for our needs in many wondrous ways. To all God's children, he gives us the same salvific blessings. That all of us who repent of our sins and give ourselves to Jesus Christ are forgiven and born again and adopted into God's family and justified, declared righteous and glorified one day and indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit who makes us more and more like Jesus. And all of these things we have in common because we are God's children. But then God loves to give personal gifts to each one of us because he knows and loves each one of us personally. And so God gave Gene and Connie to each other as their gifts to one another. And then he added bear just as an additional blessing. And that's just their blessing. And we recently uh, welcomed Jesse Adele Hoggart and then Vivian Wren Crowder because that was God's gift to the Crowders and to the Hoggarts and his gifts to those beautiful little girls. God gave Scott and Teresa that particular home because Scott needed a workshop and Teresa needed an open floor plan to host. And God gave David a place on a hill so that he could see his beloved sunsets and his storms. And God gives gifts to each one of us just because he loves each one of us. I heard of a family, a couple, that would leave each other surprises throughout the house and then underneath the surprise were the initials S-H-M-I-L-Y which was their internal marital code for, see how much I love you. So the wife might reach into the pantry for a pan and there see a gift, and underneath it would be Schmilly, see how much I love you. And God adorns our day with beautiful gifts that are just for you because God knows you and God loves you. And God has special blessings that you appreciate. Uh, I love visiting recycled books and records because books are one of my favorite things. And I talked to my wife. I said, I'm just going to go check my crops because every time a new book, a new bud, a new flower, a new fruit appears on the shelves. And sometimes I find it and I pull it and I know God left that just for me. I've been looking for that book for years and there it is just for me. And God loves you so much that he fills your days with blessings that are just for you. That note, that card, that call, that contact, that blessing, that relief, that mercy. Because God loves each one of you individually more than you could begin to imagine. One of the ways that he shows his personal love for us is that when we are born again on our spiritual birthday, God gives us a spiritual rebirthday gift. He gives us a spiritual gift, a means by which we can serve the family in a special way. And so God gives... Zach and Justin and Becca and others, musical gifts to be able to lead us in ways that would terrify some of us and horrify the rest of you. And God blesses some to be able to bake and to cook. And he makes some who have technical gifts. And every single one of you, if you are in Christ, are filled by the Holy Spirit and given a gift because God has a role for you. He has a place for you. And that's one of the ways that he shows his love for you because God loves each one of his children not just as a group, but individually, personally. So great is the love of our God. Beyond that, God also allows us to ask for additional blessings. So, so many of God's blessings are unasked for. Most of us didn't go to bed last night praying that the sun would still shine in the morning or that the earth would maintain its spin and its orbit or we didn't say, God, and through the next eight hours, let my lungs continue to respirate. Let my blood continue to circulate. 
let my heart continue to pump. But you know what? They did. Because God is that good that we have more unasked for blessings in a day than we could enumerate in a day. But then God lets us approach him for extra blessings. When I think of this, I think of, if you remember the old musical uh, Oliver, that was the musical play on Oliver Twist, and the opening scene in this orphanage in England, they dare Oliver to go and ask for another bowl of porridge. And so he goes up there and says, please, sir, may I have some more? And go, more! And he gets thrown out of the orphanage and sold into slavery. And sometimes we view God, again, as this miserly, you know, how dare you ask for more? But God allows us to approach him as each individual child to our Heavenly Father and to say, God, would you please do this? And would you please grant this? And he loves it when we do that. He commands us to do that. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in Luke 11. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So every day we can ask God for our physical needs of that day, as well as our spiritual needs for that day, so long as they're in line with God's glorious name and his perfect will, and from Matthew 6, the extension of his kingdom, because we only want what he knows is best. But then he goes on in the very next verses and says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Seven chapters later, he gives an example of a widow that goes before a judge pleading for justice. And he said, that's how we're to go before God, perseveringly and persistently and annoyingly pestering him for things that we deeply desire that are in accord with his will and his glory and his kingdom. Uh, There's certain prayer requests that I just now pray. I'm praying for a particular thing that I've been praying for three years for this church. And every time I drive by that spot, sometimes I'll just say, pester, pester, pester. Ask, knock, seek. Here's the widow. And I'm going to pester God until he gives us that or something else. And God says that's okay. God says that's a good thing because he gives us what we ask, not just what he deigns to give us. Uh, we had a really sweet answered prayer this week of a couple that has been praying for over a dozen years for an organ transplant. So if you know Tim and Laura Sutton and their daughter Meredith, and maybe even remember a year ago they got the call on New Year's Eve that there was an organ. She went in, was getting prepped by the transplant team, only to be told that she tested positive for COVID and sent home. Heartbroken. And so they kept praying. <laughs> they got a call Sunday saying, we've got an organ for you. And then the prayer started. And if you're on WhatsApp, you saw it just blow up with people praying. And then a prayer chain started at 5 a.m. the next morning. And people were pestering and pleading with God, would you give an organ to this sweet girl? And he did. 
And now we got to celebrate and she's home. And various things have been removed from her body and she's off dialysis because God gave her a new kidney. Praise God. (laughs) And may I add uh, anonymously that several people in this church not only offered to donate an organ, but have filled out all the paperwork and were waiting for the call because they were willing to sacrifice themselves to serve a woman that many of them don't know that well. And God lets us come to him with those requests. And none are too petty. And none are too small. Uh, I remember one time when my kids were young, they liked to play slug bug. So many of you all probably know that. We didn't let them hit each other, but they could at least see who could see the most Volkswagen Beetles. And my little son at a young age, I don't know, five, six, said, God, please let me beat Rachel at Slugbug. Because Rachel's the older sister. She was more attentive, more observant. And then we had the most crazy group of Volkswagen. It's like a Volkswagen Beetle caravan would pass us. Or what do you call those trucks that pull the cars for the used car lots? And they'd all be filled with Beetles. And I really think that God answered my young son's little prayer just to show him prayer works. And the God of the universe who knows the stars by name. Here's the little prayer of a five-year-old boy that just wants to be better than his sister once. And I think God taught him that and gave him a beautiful prayer life. God lets us come to him. He commands us to come to him and to keep coming to him because he's such a good God. That being said, we need to keep in mind that God's blessings are providential. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Psalm 115.3 that says, Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. God is God and we are not. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon learned this after his seven years humiliation. It says, When he looked up to the Lord and his reason returned to him, he said, His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is God and we are not. He determines what he decrees and what he does. And we cannot dictate to the sovereign of the universe what he must do. And I say this because there is a pernicious teaching that has been a pandemic around the globe in the last century that you may know as the prosperity gospel, or name it, claim it, confess it, and possess it. And there arose out of the word is power movement, this idea that if we activate faith with a word of proclamation, that God will answer our demands for wealth and health and victory and, and, and. And there are so many that are caught up in this. And that is a misunderstanding of the biblical view of blessedness. God does meet our needs and God does provide to our children, but he does not promise us unbroken comfort, constant health, or abundant affluence. That is not the teaching of the scripture and that is a false gospel that many embrace because what they want is heaven on earth now. And they want the maximal benefits that this earth can provide and then heaven thrown in when they're ready for something else. If you want to read more of this, uh, I recommended a book uh, came out a few years ago called Blessed by Oxford University Press that is an academic history of this movement and its teachings. 
Uh, recently, Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi Hinn, published a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, that he who was inside this movement and helped his, his uncle with many of the Crusades later saw the error of their ways and just gave an internal expose of the flaws of that. There's also a video online called The American Gospel that you can go and watch. Or if you want to see this treated from a biblical, pastoral, theological perspective, you can go to desiringgod.org and listen to John Piper's thundering denunciations of this. All of these prosperity preachers got sick and died. And much of their prosperity came from exploiting the little ones. And Jesus has terrifying things to say about those who cause his little ones to stumble. If you are sick and have prayed for health and God did not answer it, it's not because there is hidden sin in your life or that you don't have enough faith. God allows his holy ones to suffer oftentimes because that's how he sanctifies and uses them. That was the lot of John Calvin and Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon and Amy Carmichael and, and, and. Paul beseeched the Lord three times, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. God said no. Because of the amazing revelations, the insight into heaven that God had given Paul, in order that he not esteem himself too highly, he allowed him this painful thorn. And we don't know what it is, but we know that it was painful. And he begged the Lord, the Apostle Paul himself, and God basically said, I would rather have you humble than healthy because I can use an unhealthy, humble person more than I can a proud, healthy person. In Philippians, when Epaphroditus was ill to the point of death, Paul didn't assume that he could simply lay hands on him and heal him. He was grateful that God showed mercy, but he wasn't presumptuous that that would be the case. Likewise, Jesus himself God in the flesh, with whom the Father was very well pleased, said, if it be possible, let this cup be passed. And it wasn't. Not if he was going to suffer and die as the sacrifice for our sins. Godly prayers sometimes go unanswered for godly reasons, and we have to trust God in that. And so we pray. We persevere in prayer. But we humbly acknowledge that God is God, and we are not. And in the end... His righteous and good and wise will will prevail. Maybe we'll understand it someday. Maybe we won't. But at the end of the day, God is God. We humbly bring our petitions to our Father. We do not dictate. We do not demand. We do not pronounce and proclaim and possess. We ask. And then we receive gratefully. Or if the answer is no, we're good with that as well. This leads to our ne next point. That God's blessings are often puzzling. We oftentimes don't understand why God does what he does. And sometimes he tells us and sometimes he does not. If you remember Joseph, uh, the favored son of Jacob, and he was told at an early age that his brothers were going to bow down to him. In fact, even his father and mother were going to bend the knee to him in a sense. And then what happened to this faithful, blessed son? He was hated by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit and they thought they would leave him there to die till they thought they could profit from him instead. So they sold him into captivity and then he went into Egypt. And what did faithful Joseph do? He was faithful in Potiphar's house until his wife wanted to have immoral relations with him. He refused. She falsely accused him. He ended up in prison. He remained faithful. He 
got a wine bearer off of the hook with a dream interpretation, said, just don't forget me. What did he do? He immediately forgot him. And it says explicitly that the Lord blessed Joseph and he blessed Egypt through Joseph. And Joseph had a long, hard road to hope. And we later find out why that was. And sometimes we do. Um, when I was at Al Jacobson's funeral about a month ago of uh, Vision Ministries, the elder who gave up and gave part of his analogy said, we are here today because Al was left-handed, which is a great way to kind of, what? And Al Jacobson grew up a missionary kid in South America, and he was left-handed. But back then, being left-handed was considered bad, so in first grade, they forced him to write with his right. He didn't pick it up quickly, knowing Al was partly based, partly based due to stubbornness, but he failed first grade and got held back a year which was just the year he needed to meet his future wife, Tracy, in high school. And God brought into his life one of the great saints on earth and changed his life. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, talks about how part of his family genetic heritage is they lack the middle thumb or middle digit on their thumb. He says, it looks like we got it, but it's mere sham. So all C.S. Lewis's thumb could do was this. He couldn't do this. As a result, he wasn't as good throwing a ball, hitting a bat, and playing all the other reindeer games. So what did he do instead? He went inside, grabbed a pen, and drew, and wrote, and read, and his physical handicap was part of his preparation to be one of the great writers and thinkers of the 20th century. Now, as a five-year-old, would you rather be able to write or swing a bat? Dude, get me out on the field, right? But God knew. And sometimes God lets us know why he said no, or why he did a certain thing, because that's part of his way of using us all the more mightily. Other times, however, we don't know. Job was called a blameless man, the most righteous in all the age, who feared the Lord and departed from evil. And you remember that when the sons of God appeared before him and Satan saw Job, and God said, have you seen my servant Job? And he said, the only reason he loves you is because you bless him. And so God said, then you may touch his blessings. And what happened to Job? You remember the succession of messengers that came and said, your cattle were taken, your servants were slain, and the house collapsed on all your children, and I alone am here to tell you. And the text says, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So did it stop? No. Satan said, well, all that was taken was his stuff. Let me touch his body, and then he'll curse you. And so he said, you can't take his life, but you could touch his body. And boils broke out on his body from head to foot. So he scraped himself with a broken piece of clay while he sat in the ashes, representing the ruin of his life. And his wife came and said, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? 
It's an uncomfortable question because that's exactly what we want. <laughs> Protect me, deliver me from my adversities, and give me a double portion of the blessings is what we want. And that's not God's will oftentimes. And we don't always know why. We rejoice in the birth of these new ones. We pray for the birth of a coming one. And we're mindful of those who struggle with infertility or who have lost children. We celebrate a life and then we also acknowledge that there's a family mourning and that's why that kidney was donated because there was a death. We praise God for the relief that he grants and we grieve with those that the relief is yet to come. And we don't always know why that is. God is God and we are not and we have to trust him with that. In the end, do you remember Joseph said, if I could just stand before God, if he just wouldn't intimidate me with his might, then I would be able to present myself to the Lord. And when the Lord finally appears to Job, he doesn't justify himself. He doesn't explain himself. Job asked the question, why? God gave the answer, who? This is who I am. And I'm the Almighty One. And that's the answer. God is God and we are not and we have to trust Him. And that's not always easy. Um, I've got a friend that many of you all know. He's now a missionary in the Middle East. But when he was in seminary, he began noticing some tingling in his hands that then became carpal tunnel, that then became radical pain, and then became crippling disability despite the multiple surgeries and interventions that he's tried. Uh, he can't turn a key. He can't start a door. He's not held his middle-sized children. He eats with a plastic fork because a metal one is too heavy for him. And this is a beautiful, wonderful, godly man that God has used in wondrous ways. And I don't know why God hasn't healed him. But God does. And he wrote a book about it, about suffering when we don't know why. And the title of the book is called Kiss the Wave. And it comes from a line of Spurgeon. So C.H. Spurgeon, the greatest uh, preacher of the 19th century, suffered greatly from gout. And a particular form of gout, I forget what it was called, Fred would know, but he says... If you put your hand in a vice and twist it as hard as you can, that's gout. And then if you twist it two more turns, that was the kind of gout that he had. If someone stomped on the floor of a house, it hurt his legs. His wife was so disabled, she oftentimes couldn't come to church. But Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. And that's all we can do is we trust. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Sometimes we can see. Sometimes we learn. One day maybe we'll know. My guess is when we get to heaven, we won't care. And God will say, did you have a question? Never mind. <laughs> it's irrelevant. It really doesn't matter now. And that's not only why we suffer or why we lack the good things that we think we deserve, but sometimes when we see the wicked prosper. So David in Psalm 73 says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why? Why, David? I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like the rest of mankind. 
David looked at the wicked who seemed to be affluent and healthy and abundant, comfortable, at ease, affluent, and he struggled with that. God, how come they're blessed and I'm not? How come they're pain-free and I'm not? How come they're affluent and I'm not? Sometimes it's the abundance or the apparent abundance of the wicked that brings us cause to doubt. Then he goes on to say, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Dave said, if I had shared my doubts aloud, I might have caused others to stumble. So he brought them to God instead. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God and then I perceived their end. I didn't just look at the moment. I looked ahead in time and I realized that the wicked are going to stand in judgment. They're going to get their due and I will get my reward. And he alleviated by knowing, and this is our final point, that the nature of God's blessings are preliminary. Everything that we enjoy now are anticipations of the glory to come. Every blessing that we have now is what the Puritan Jonathan Edwards called a pre-libation of heaven. It's just the first few sprinkles of the inundation that's about to come. Our reward comes later. The source of blessing God brings blessing to those who are in His presence. Eden was Edenic. Paradise was paradisical because God's presence was there. Sin separated us from God, and now we are separated still, even as His children, from the fullness of the presence of God. But one day we will be before Him face to face, and then we will have to have a glorified body to be able to survive the glories and the joys that await us in heaven. We look forward for our reward, and all the good things that we enjoy now are just way stations along the way, blessings along the path. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, God has given us the joys of a hot bath and a pleasant walk with friends and a good meal to be able to hearten us and to sustain us in our long pilgrimage. But he doesn't let these blessings endure or become our norm lest we think that this world is our home. We're not home yet. We're not home yet, but we will be. And this is what God tells us about that through the Apostle John. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. All those first things have passed away. One day we will be in the very presence of God who is love. And we will experience love as we can't imagine. And all of the hard and the hurtful things and all of the sin and the wickedness will be separated forever. And we will be with perfectly lovely people in a perfectly loving place, loving perfectly forever in the presence of God who is love himself. This is how the musician Andrew Peterson describes it in his song, After the Last Teardrop Falls. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, 
after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard, there is love, love, love. There is love, love, love. There is love. After the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poison tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the last lonely night in prison, there is love, love, love. There is love, love, love. There is love. After the last plan fails, after the last siren wails, after the last young husband sails off to join the war, after the last this marriage is over, after the last young girl's innocence is stolen, after the last years of silence that won't let a heart open, there is love, love, love. There is love, love, love. There is love. And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans of love and love again. And we'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the palms of the giver of love and the lover of all. And we'll look back on all these tears as old tales because after the last tear falls, there's love. That's our future. That's our hope. That's the fullness of God's blessing in the fullness of his presence that awaits us someday. Until then, how do we experience God's favor? How do we find the thriving and the flourishing that our good God desires for us? Look to God as the source of your blessing because he is a good God who loves to bless his children. Repent of your sins and give yourself fully and entirely to Jesus Christ because it is only in and through him that God's blessings are found. Commit yourself to ignoring the voices of the wicked, of our fallen flesh, of a wicked world, of a deceitful devil. Delight ourselves in the law of the Lord and to live our lives according to its truth, trusting its teachings, obeying its commands. And becoming like trees that even in the, in the off seasons, our leaves won't wither. And as we do it, we enjoy it to the full with full effect. We gratefully acknowledge where they come from. We generously share the blessings God gives us to pass on to others. And we tell them where they can go and come to know this good God as well. And then along the way, we love God all the more for the personal blessings that he gives. We bring to him humbly our request to persist and persevere in those prayers. We acknowledge that he is God and we are not. And the hard things that remain are according to his will. And the good that seems postponed are according to his wise will. And we may puzzle over this, but we trust. And then one day we look forward to the time when we will wake, our eyes will close, we will wake and see God, and all will be forgotten. C.S. Lewis <laughs> said that heaven and hell in the end will both be retroactive. That for those who have given themselves to Christ, we'll look back from heaven and all of those hard things will be forgotten or they'll make sense, but heaven will be all. Conversely, for those who are in hell, eternally separated from God, 
all the momentary pleasures and fleeting indulgences will be worthless in light of the hopeless eternity that they stare in the face of. God wants us blessed. And these are the paths and the ways of biblical blessedness. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, that your Holy Spirit inspired so that it is inerrant, it is enduring, it is authoritative, and you have spelled out so clearly for us how to have the life that we desire, but it's only on your terms. So we thank you for being such a loving God that you made men and women in your image and you blessed us. And when we distrusted and disobeyed you and spurned you and separated ourselves from you, you loved us so much that you sent your son to live and to die and to rise. And one day he is returning for us. And even now you bless us more abundantly than we can begin to acknowledge or realize. And one day he is coming and we will be in a new body on a new earth in the presence of God himself. And there will be love, 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 love. Until then, let us love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let us love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ loved us. Let us love our neighbors as ourselves, that they might come to love the God who is love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>